Hi, this is Maria Kirsten. Welcome back to Live Like You Love Yourself, the podcast with Shara Carruthers and me. In this episode, we're exploring how to eat like you love yourself. Shara has written a beautiful book called Eat Like You Love Yourself, a modern guide to Ayurvedic cooking and living. And I get to interview her about it and to explore some of the ideas that she develops in the book and in her life's work. It's not your run-of-the-mill, eat-for-your-dosha approach, and I really like that. Some of the ideas we talk about harken back to episode three, where we, where I talked to Shara about Ayurveda, so either before or after it might, might be a good idea to listen to that episode. Shara's intention is to make the application of an Ayurvedic approach to healthy eating practical and, and accessible for everybody, and I love the way that she does this. She makes the concept of non-restrictive and intuitive eating accessible and practical. And it I, I understood a lot how to apply things rather than being really fixed in an approach. So I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation and where it goes. I just have one little trigger warning. If you have a relationship with food that means that talking about food in general or weight specifically is triggering or uncomfortable or you don't want to go there, then either skip the whole episode. If it's about eating beautiful, beautiful eating, you could go till minute 49. And that's when I asked the question, which is, well, what about weight? Because it felt like the obvious question to ask. And we get into things that can feel controversial. And we can also, at least I heard in my own, uh, in my own language, some of the biases and value-laden language that I don't really didn't like hearing myself use, but I still did use. So I'm kind of outing myself on that one. So I think that the conversation we had is important and maybe brave. I didn't want to shy away from it to avoid conflict, but I also don't want to upset anybody. So that having been said, I think that you'll really enjoy the conversation and I think that you will have an understanding of how Shara helps make intuitive and non-restrictive eating to find your true balance accessible. Enjoy the episode and we'll see you on the other side. There, it's Shara Carruthers here with Maria Kirsten, and we are excited to be back talking about something that is pretty near and dear to my heart, in part because it's a subject that I talk about a lot, and I think part of the reason why I talk about it so much is because I have been a food lover forever, so that's a really large part of my practice of Ayurveda and a large part of what I teach. Uh, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about it because I have written a book called Eat Like You Love Yourself, and it is focused on the Ayurvedic approach to eating, but also living. And I think it's important to talk about those two together because in many ways, eating is living. And I don't, we don't always think about it in that way, but it's really important. And I think we'll jump into it today through our talk. And I'm guessing that Maria may have a few questions about this whole eating thing too. I'm sure along the road, she's probably come across this whole idea of Ayurvedic eating and perhaps has some inquiry about that too. So we'll talk about that. How are you doing, Maria? I'm doing really well. No, I'm yeah. excited to talk about it because I love your book, but I, um, I admire it so much 
and it's much more than what I expected. Oh, right. So when I, I've had a few Ayurvedic books, mm-hmm. and, and they talk about eating to your dosha and that yeah. sort of stuff. But yours is much bigger than that, or uh, it, it, it's much more complex and in a way much more simple. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was kind of really surprising and refreshing, and so I'd like to get on Dive in. Dive in. So it's kind of what made you, what made you think, okay, I'm going to write a book? Oh, man. <laughs> How much time do you have for that yeah. story? Is it too big um, a story? It was, I think it's, it, it's the story of a, something that was always there to be written and something that was always there within me, but it wasn't, the discovery of it came via resistance. So when I first started talking about Ayurveda and teaching it, I, I knew that there was this perception in the world um, that Ayurveda was mainly just a diet. It was mainly just about food. And so I had this real resistance to talking about Ayurveda in that context because I was really wanting people to understand that it was more than that. It wasn't just about food. Okay, you were going to be the food person. It, well, I see. I, well, I wanted people to know that Ayurveda isn't just food. No. There's so many other things. Yeah. And so I, I spent probably about three years not talking about food at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I really wanted people to focus, I wanted people to, to expand their thinking about what Ayurveda was. And so I thought doing, not talking about food would be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, wait a minute, everyone knows, everyone loves food. Food is a, a connector. Food is a friend. Food is a therapist for some of us. Food is, everyone has this deep and beautiful relationship with food. Why wouldn't you talk about food as an as a way of introducing people to this science of our you know this this ancient wisdom of ayurveda because it's a it's a a tool and it's something that we all have this personal and intimate relationship with already so then i realized oh wait this is a great that you definitely talk about food you must because people get it and they also love food and people eat yeah up to two or three times a day so if anything you can get in on that people are doing repetitively yeah if you can make it go in the right direction you can swing it swing it for health and if you can make it go in the wrong direction then obviously it's damaging so yeah yeah and it's you know obviously exactly what you've just touched on it's an incredibly vital part of our recipe or for <laughs> our recipe or our formula mm-hmm. for health mm-hmm. and so it's really important for people to understand and so i did i embraced it and i started talking about food and you know, doing presentations and talking about the, you know, the all the different concepts within Ayurveda related to food. I, although I had no plans on writing a book and no thinking about doing that. And then as I started tuning into my intuition more, there the message was there to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, I'm not writing a book. That's crazy. <laughs> Why would I do that? I'll just keep doing my teaching and this and that. And so at some point, I just thought the message kept coming to me when I was quiet, you know, and I thought, right, well, what, what, what do I have to lose? Like, why wouldn't I do it? Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of surrendered and wrote the book. And it was a fabulous experience. It was a huge learning experience. And it was funny because when I told people who know me, I'm writing a cookbook, they were like, yeah, of course. And oh, I right. realized I've had this love of food and this relationship with food from a very, very young age. And I talk about that in the book and how, you know, I've cooking has just been a thing for me forever. So yeah, if for, you know, the folks who knew me, it was like, of course you would write a cookbook. Right. It, you know, it makes sense. You've always loved food. You've always, you know, brought people together with food. Um, it's a big part of who you are. 
So yeah, so that's kind of the long story of why I did it in the end. And oh. it's been great too. It's been really terrific. Um, so that's it. That's because I I'm always scared of writing something or doing yeah. something because I'm scared of regretting it the moment that it's done. Yeah. But it sounds like no, that it's that it keeps blossoming and that you're it's something you can build on and work with and that you're happy that you're really happy you put down. Absolutely. And I know when I made a video, I was the same thing. I'm yeah. like, no, 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 that's actually still all right. And mm. I'm really proud of, of that effort to put it together and to encapsulate, just yeah. put something down and get yeah. it out there. Yeah, definitely. And it was yeah. just, it was quite a process making it happen, pulling it together, you know, taking the time to do, to do it all. And like anything, I think at the end of it, I remember feeling like, a little scared, like as it went oh, to the printer, sure. a little scared, like what, how, you know, what is this going to, what's this going to be? And then I remember, I think I was away on holidays and I came back and the copy, the first copy of the book had come and I was like, oh, and I opened it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like amazing. Like this it's is beautiful. something, this yeah. is, this is substantial. This is, you know, so that was really exciting. Oh, and then, so and then people, just the response to it has been really great too. So that's helped to kind of reinforce so when that. you think about writing a book yeah. and you're going to obviously put Ayurveda through it, what what do you need to say? Live like you love yourself. Where where do you start? What's important for us to know? That's a great question. And I think just like a lot of things within Ayurveda, eating is a complex thing. You know, food is can be quite complex. And so, yeah, you have to, for me, I had to think a little bit about what was the purpose of the book. And what was the purpose of the book? The purpose was to introduce people to the concepts of Ayurvedic food and eating, but also have people understand where food fits in to their overall life. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason why I thought to set the book out by seasons. So the recipes are organized by seasons because I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we have to consider when we're eating is from an Ayurvedic standpoint, is 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 what we're eating or what we're choosing right for when for the time frame that we're choosing it. So that was part of it. Um, the other was obviously to give people a better understanding of Ayurveda, because mm. most people who are going to pick this book up might not understand anything about Ayurveda, the doshas and the elements and all of these concepts within Ayurveda. So it was presenting that stuff in a way that helped people understand it. So simple, there's like charts and various other things in there, simple concepts, but also tying those concepts with the concepts about eating together so that people can understand how they all flow And then together. be immediately applicable in recipes. Yeah, That's great. exactly. Yeah. And also just putting lots of juicy pictures of food and, you know, and other yeah. things to kind of tantalize people's um, senses too. So there's lots of photos and stuff in there. Okay, so if you're introducing somebody to Ayurvedic eating, because mm-hmm. we talked about Ayurveda, and yeah. one of the things you said was food, sleep, and sex. Yes, that that's was, right. You know, you kind of nutted it down. I yeah. love the way you do that. Yeah. So when I'm thinking Ayurvedic eating, I'm thinking I'm thinking of what they talked about in yoga teacher training. So yeah. sattvic food, yep. and when I've been on when I've been on retreat. Uh-huh. So like vegetarian, no garlic, no onion. So are you talking about something as restrictive as that or, or as, is it bigger or smaller? Okay, well, this is good. I'm glad you brought that up in that way because I think it's important to understand because Ayurveda and yoga are what we call sister sciences, mm. there's this kind of belief that the rules of yoga almost always apply to Ayurveda. 
So you've talked about sattvic food and you've talked about vegetarianism. But I think what's important for folks to understand in terms of how Ayurveda is placed is that the focus for Ayurveda, perhaps different to yoga, is about a healthy mind and body. Mm-hmm. And so every so it sees everything that we come into contact with, whether that's going to be our food or activities or even just the clothes that we're wearing, all of those things are tools that we have for creating health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, Ayurveda doesn't have any restrictions for anything. Okay. There's no zero offenses, restrictions. Right. Because there's an understanding that depending on who you are, depending on what you're going through, depending on you know, what your experiences have been, et cetera, et cetera, what your imbalance looks like, you need to have a full range of tools at your disposal to help you create balance. And so that really applies to food. So often people will think that um, Ayurveda is vegetarian Mm -hmm. and it isn't isn't necessarily vegetarian. I've known doctors, Ayurvedic doctors that have prescribed meat for people because meat has certain nutrients and it has certain nourishing qualities that someone who is maybe dealing with a severe, you know, issues of fatigue or severe issues of, you know, emaciation or all sorts of different mm-hmm. things, meat is going to be the best and easiest way to um, to get that to them, to get the nourishing nourishment yeah. that they need. Sattvic food is really a, about maintaining some clarity of the mind. Um, it also has some impacts on the body, obviously, mind and body same. Um, but if your focus is meditation and having your mind and your vessel be as clear and kind of clean as possible, then you're wanting to go with a diet that's sattvic. And that's why I often think of a sattvic diet as being a yogic diet. Yeah. Whereas if your <clears throat> if your focus is really just about maintaining a sense of vitality and robustness and balance, so kind of lack of illness, mm. then a sattvic diet might not necessarily be the right diet for you because it's devoid of a number of different things. Yeah, things like onion and garlic, which are both considered some of the most healthy things. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. they're too heating or stimulating. Yep, they're too stimulating for right. sattvic for sattvic diets. Which, which you need stimulating. <laughs> which some people do. Some you know, a do. lot of our That's population right. needs, <laughs> needs, needs a little stimulation. Yeah, exactly, needs a little That's bit right. of stimulation. And so they yeah. don't need to be kind of sitting around, you know, waxing lyrical about, you know, stuff. They need to be moving and, and you know, energizing their bodies and their minds. And so, yeah, and so sattvic isn't necessarily what I would recommend for them. So kind of similar to what we were talking about with Ayurveda, that that it's it's very individualized and yeah. it's your your elements and what you are coming into contact. Yep. Obviously, there's not going to be some nice prescriptions you can just put out there for anybody. No, and that's interesting because most people, I think a lot of people are drawn to Ayurveda because they're drawn to this idea of the food, the mm-hmm. eating, and this and the way that it's been sold to many people is eat for your type. Yep. And if you've been, if you've gone through all the diets, you know, if you've done your paleo and your, you know, whatever, your keto and your all these different diets and different things that are out there, high carb, low carb, blah, 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 and you haven't found anything that works for you, anything that says eat for your type is just going to sound so juicy. That's right. You're going to be like, oh, but what that typically, the way that that's typically presented is as a list of foods that is, that are good for your dosha. And so that, and that tends to confuse people quite a lot because they have questions about, you know, well, what if I'm not, what if I'm not balanced or, you know, what if I'm dealing with an imbalance or what if I have two doshas? How do I, 
And so I, most people, and I've, I've got, I've had a Facebook group of, you know, a couple grand, a couple thousand people, and I have polled them about this idea of eating for your dosha. It's like, how many of you think that eating for your dosha is really, have tried it and you feel like it's really easy? Uh, it was probably less than 1%. Right. So, and most people, so this is, you know, well over 90% of the people said, I don't understand it. I, I think it's really hard. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the whole idea of these lists of foods that are good for, you know, this and you know, not so good for that. I think the idea behind it was to try to simplify things a little bit. But what it's ended up doing really is just kind of confusing people a little. Yeah, because I always look at those and I think, oh, okay, so I'm sort of vata pitta, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I'll look at vata reducing because that's what makes me feel awful. And then I find these foods that I should avoid and they're things that I really love. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of know deep in my being are wonderful for me. Yeah. You know, and I think, am I wrong about that? Yeah. Is my instinct wrong? Is my feeling wrong? So, so yeah. Yeah. And simplified prescriptions aren't going to work. No. no. And, you know, I think just like, you know, some of our Western medicine system, we want to, we want to be kind of prescriptive because nobody wants to take on the responsibility of trying to figure out what's best for them. And people, you know, we're as, as kind of punters, you know, we lack conf- we lack confidence in ourselves. Mm. But the interesting thing is, like, we really know our bodies better than anyone. Like the you know doctors and and all of our beautiful and helpful and nurturing practitioners out there, they know the human body and the human condition perhaps better than we do, and the anatomy and all these different things. But individually, we know ourselves better than anyone ever can. And so we do have to start to develop this ability to trust ourselves. So that all, that only comes from tuning in. And so what I often recommend for folks is to use these lists of foods and things as a bit of a guide, but to understand what is behind it, understand what's under it. Mm-hmm. And so what's under it, just to kind of give you an understanding, yeah. is an understanding of Every different food that's out there, everything out there, and I mean, we might have, we have talked about this. We did. We has talked qualities. About the qualities. I exactly. love that because that's really made me see the whole world as a different place and myself. Yes. Me I'm and my so qualities excited. coming into contact uh, with all the other qualities. Love it. I'm like shaking with glee yeah. over here at that because yeah. that's exactly what we want. That's exactly where we really want to be because it's when we can start paying attention to that, that we can start seeing connections between things. So all of these foods, every food out there has a set of qualities and maybe, you know, might be it's a hot food and it's light and it's wet or it's, you know, whatever it is, it's cold and it's dry and it's heavy, whatever that is. But those qualities have different impacts on the dosha. So we talked about the doshas being like these energies, right? Every food has an impact on the doshas. And so if you see a list that says, if you're pitta, eat this and don't eat that, what that's really trying to tell you is that the qualities of these foods are likely to aggravate Pitta or are likely to balance Pitta. But the, the thing that they don't tell you is that there are things you can do with that food that can actually mitigate those so issues. So can you give an example? Are you sure. thinking of something? Yeah, I am actually. So um, if you think about something like kale, right? Kale is like the, the thing. It's like, the, yeah. you know, one of the... I actually really don't like kale. Oh, you don't like kale? I like kale cooked. Uh, okay, well, there we are. This, like that makes curly, perfect chewy sense. kale is not normal. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay, so kale is the ultimate in light, dry, and rough. Okay, then no, I'm, I'm understanding why I like to cook it. <laughs> yeah, it's light and it's dry and it's rough. So 
If you are uh, someone who's Vata or if you're somebody who is dealing with a Vata imbalance, and I can tell you, I would feel pretty comfortable saying about 80% of the world has some issues with Vata because it's stress, it's um, it's movement, it's change, it's, you know, it's a lot of things. And it's one of the things that many, many, many people are, are challenged by. So, so this is most people. But if you're Vata, if you're a Vata individual, it will, if you look at the lists, it will say, don't eat this because it's cold, it's dry, it's rough. But what can you do? You can, you can change those qualities of the coldness and the dryness and the roughness and make it easier for you as an individual to digest and to make it easy for your body to actually make good use of that by cooking it. So by cooking it, you're cooking, you're taking away the coldness to some degree by adding some heat. And you might add a few heating spices in there, maybe a little bit of ginger or a little bit of um, cumin is nice or a bit of turmeric. So that turns up the heat. And then you're adding maybe a little bit of oil to that. So that oil starts to smooth, it, it creates a nice moistness in it. And it smooths out some of the roughness too. And so all of a sudden now, something that was on your list that you shouldn't eat, but that is a highly nourishing food is now okay for you to eat. And so what I really want people to do is to understand all of that. You can use those lists to perhaps guide you to understand perhaps the inherent qualities of certain things, but you really do need to go beyond that to understand how to make things good for you. I love that example yeah. because it's it's exactly right. Just to say a particular food, a particular food, like do you want a cold pear or a dried pear or a roasted pear? Yep. You know, there's so many different ways you can come at something that, that makes it different. And what I like about everything that we come down to is you've got to check with yourself first yes. and attune and then see how does that make me feel. Yep, you exactly. You almost do like one of those kinesiology moments where yeah. you're like test hey, it yeah how am i feeling yeah, yeah. totally because yeah. exactly the same you know in that example that you used cold pears might give somebody constipation mm. whereas if you roast them and throw a little bit of ghee or something mm. on it Red and, wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever it is you roast it and cook it and make it you know throw a bit of something that's moist on there it yeah. might be just the thing to nourish your soul mm. and so what i'm really trying to do is dispel a lot of the myths for people about Ayurvedic food and Ayurvedic eating so that they're more um, successful with it, but also that, so that they're, they can see that it's really about figuring out how to nourish yourself. So what are some of the other mistakes or myths or um, what are other people getting wrong? So when it comes to Eating, which I, and you know, as I mentioned, eating is a, is an important, very important part of the way that we live. I have noticed that everyone's really keen on eating unhealthy eating. Not everybody, but if you're, if you're wanting to choose a really healthy life. No. (laughs) Exactly. If you're wanting to choose a healthy life, you know, how you eat and what you eat is really important. So one of the first things that I see people doing, um, which people might have already gleaned a little bit from what we talked about is what I call eating someone else's diet. So there's no shortage of health and wellness pros out there who are going to tell you this is the way you should eat. High carb, low carb, high fat, low fat, paleo, you know, keto, all these different diets out there. And what people don't really tend to think about first, because what they see is like this waxed and tanned, you know, toned and tight individual who eats, you know, who drinks smoothies all day, every day. And they think, right, well, if I eat, if I just do the same thing they do, I'll be that person. And that there couldn't be anything further from the truth. We have to embrace our individuality. 
And so what that means is we have to work out what's right for us. We have to stop this eating someone else's diet and we have to be willing to do the investigation. We have to be curious. And we've talked about that too in mm. previous calls or previous discussions. We have to be curious about what is going to work for us. The other thing which is incredibly important in the Ayurvedic context, which is something very few people really think about, even though you're seeing more of it these days, because there's lots of talk about gut health. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea of what I call, um, we neglect the fire inside. So it within Ayurveda, and I think it's maybe the first word of the Rig Veda is Agni. So Agni is the word that in Sanskrit that means fire. And I just thought about the movie Quest for Fire. Did you ever see that movie Quest for Fire? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was about the cave people. And it was just about oh, the importance of yeah. fire and how fire has basically been what external fire has been the thing that's kind of changed, you know, changed who we are. Yeah, changed humanity, basically. Um, And so Ayurveda wants us to understand that internal fire is what makes us human, period. What what keeps us alive, right? There's There's fire in every single cell of our bodies that needs to metabolize things and digest and all that sort of stuff. And so our digestion and what I find, what I'm finding really beautiful is that we're learning more and more about this as we research it. Our digestion is at the center of our being. And, but when we make choices for food, unless we've had issues with our gut, you know, colitis or IBS or, you know, any of those things which are becoming incredibly, um, you know, prevalent totally mm. these days, mm. um, unless we've had issues with our digestion, we don't think about how well we're going to digest what we're eating first and foremost. And so we're constantly neglecting that that fire inside. And because of that, we're often making choices for food that challenge our digestion. And when that happens, it compromises our immune systems and it compromises, you know, everything, our thinking, our, our physical vitality, all of that. And so that's what we're doing. That's what it's like. You don't get your kindling going. So whatever you, everything smokes. and (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's not crackling and like ready to, you know, to digest, to take on that information that you're taking in. So when you say that, I think, okay, sometimes you can have bitters with Mm -hmm. your, you know, in your drink Mm -hmm. and you can eat carrots and celery or something because something about the sodium. But I, I mean, aside from doing, the only thing I can think of for me to cultivate my fire is to do a yoga practice that mm. would look at samana vayu and kind of get all that moving. But are you thinking, how can I not neglect the fire inside? Excellent. Oh, and it's, I'm so glad you, you mentioned the yoga though. too. You guys got to see Shara because oh she God. just like squeezes her fist and like sits up on the chair and is like, yes, yes, I love this. So one, I love that you're talking about things outside of what you eat too, like, you know, the yoga practice and thinking about those things, because I think we do need to be looking at all of this from a real holistic point of view. But in terms of what you eat, well, hold on. So there's what you eat, there's how you eat, there's when you eat, and there's why you eat. All of these things are incredibly important in ensuring that that fire is burning brightly. The work that has been done, the research that has been done about um, stress hormones has already clued us into the fact that if we're stressed in any way or distracted in any way when we're eating, it means that our body is not in rest and digest mode. It is in fight and flight mode. And so your digestion is not going to be working to an optimal degree. So that's one thing. We're wanting to ensure that we're not what I call dining in a minefield. Mm -hmm. So dining in a minefield, and anybody who is a parent has had this experience, whether you're aware of it or not, it is the experience of 
eating in an environment that does not feel calm, that does not feel relaxed, where you your mind might be on, you know, what you didn't do, what you did do, what what's needs to come to the table, what doesn't, who, who's running around and who's talking and who's all these <laughs> you different just things. yelled at everyone. Yeah, exactly. Shut down, shut up, you know, whatever it is. It's dining in an experience, eating in an experience that is like that, which for most people is most of the way that they eat. That would also include sitting at your desk, eating while you're doing your, trying to do some Driving work. Driving to work. Yes, yeah, totally. Eating in the car. Yeah. Any of these things. It you know, does make a difference. They say absolutely. if you sit down to eat the food, it's twice as nutritious and half as yep. fattening or whatever. That, you yeah. Know, yeah. That's the thing. Because yeah. if your system's for breaking that down, assimilating it, drawing out those nutrients, if they're working, if they're firing on all, you know, on all levels, it means that you're going to get way more out of that food than if they're struggling. So mm-hmm. that's the, that's about, you know, how you eat. The Ayurvedic view is that that digestive fire, uh, just like of the the sun and the moon, it is subject. It's subject to the circadian rhythms. So that fire is going to be burn the brightest in the middle of the day, when the sun is kind of high in the sky and the body's warmed up and it's moved and it's you know and it's had a chance to kind of kindle itself. And so you're wanting to try to have your biggest meals during that time. Hence the cultures that break for lunch. Yep. Have a siesta after lunch. Yeah. And they can still eat these huge things and still seem to be slim yeah. and fine. Or not exactly. slim, but you know what I mean, healthy yeah. and well. Because yeah. their body has had, you know, had that meal at a time when their digestion is great and then maybe even had a little bit of time to rest and digest. It's mm. beautiful. It's perfect. Mm. So that's important too. So we talked about how, we talked about when. Let's talk a little bit about why and then I'll talk about what. Okay. So we... We eat for so many reasons. We really do. And in fact, I think the why of eating is far more prevalent in our experience than the what. And by that, I just mean most of us, our reasons for eating are not related to hunger. I agree with you. Yeah. They're not related to us being hungry at all. And in fact, I think that there's this fear of the experience of emptiness. It's related to many, many things for people. And so we stay away from it. And in a world where we live, where there is a ridiculous abundance of anything and everything to put into your mouth, we just, we have no need for emptiness. We can be constantly filling ourselves, and we do, um, in all aspects of our lives. And so we also see food as a comfort. For many people, if they're anxious, if they're tired, if they're many, you know, who knows what, happy, I can tell you, if I'm happy, I kind of want to, I want to like seal well, that the people who in. are either, you know, they're happy because yeah. they, they've put on a bit because they're eating well and they're so yeah. relaxed <laughs> or they're, you know, that they're unhappy. Yeah. You know, I have different friends, but I know I have yeah. one friend too. She, she's, you know, looks really well and yeah. full. Otherwise, if she's skinny, I know it's all she's, yeah. But other people, when they're yeah. skinny, they've, they've been eating to kind of ground themselves. Mm-hmm. And, so yeah, we eat for very many, many reasons. And so I think it's really important for us to tune into that when we're going to the fridge or whatever, for us to understand why. Not in a way to make ourselves feel bad, but just in understanding that why, it will create that sense of awareness that may help us to make healthier choices for ourselves in the moment. So that's really important. And now the what. So if we think about our digestive fire as a fire, like a campfire, and you can imagine that fire, you can imagine with a campfire, and everybody's probably had this, this experience where you maybe put like 
a little bit too much kindling and like a little bit too dry of wood and they, and all of a sudden it's like a bonfire yeah. and you're like, oh my God, like you can't cook anything on yeah. that. You put something on and it, you know, it's gone. Yeah. Whereas you can also see an experience where, you know, you, you've got, maybe the wood's wet or maybe you've put just too much wood on the fire. Like you've been a little too excited about getting fire going and you've put too much wood on there and it's just, it's just trying its best to do something, but it just really isn't getting there because it's just too much to fight. Well, the what of food, so the qualities of the foods that we eat can serve to act like that fuel. If you have something that's too heavy, that's too cold, if you put a lot of that onto your digestive fire, especially if your fire isn't particularly strong, if you put too much of that in there, so we're talking about things like ice cream, we're talking about things like cheese, think about that cold heavy, wet, yeah. um, maybe too much ice water, we're talking about those sorts of things, then you can start to compromise your digestive fire. Whereas if you're if you're feeling a little bit heavy or your digestive fire is feeling a little bit low, then you're wanting to make sure that you're giving it that kind of light kindling. You know, when you throw a few like twigs on there, mm. all of a sudden it can start to it can start to kick up a little. And so you're wanting to make your choices for foods relative to your digestive fire. How strong is your digestive fire typically? Your dosha will give you some information about that. And then how strong is your digestive fire now? Did you just eat something two hours ago and your normally okay digestive fire is still just kind of struggling a little bit to digest it? So if I asked you that right now, Mm -hmm. we're at, I don't know, one one o'clock in the afternoon or Hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And both of us having eaten, I guess. You talk we both talk early. And yeah. then when you look inside your body now, have you got a sense of how strong or weak your digestive fire is? I do. So for me, um, as a Vada Pitta, my digestion tends to be more on the Vada side. So it can tend to be variable. Okay. Depending on the day. Some days I will not want any food. I will not eat anything or need much of anything. Some days I will need to be eating, starving yeah, all day long. starving, yeah. yeah. I will need to. Me be, too. I'll have food, and then it'll feel like my stomach's going rah, like after, yeah. like two hours later. So I have to kind of stay tuned into that yeah. and make choices for what I eat and how I eat based on that. At the moment, I think the last <laughs> the last food I had was uh, this morning. I think around eight thirty. So for some people, you know, they'd be dying right now. For me, I can tell there's hunger there. And that I probably should eat soon or else I'll get hangry. Sure. And that's the whole pit side of me that's like, oh, my God. If my family was around, I'd be like, hey, you guys. So um, so there's that. And But I also know that if I get too hungry, the, te- the temptation is going to be to eat a ton of food. Like, oh, I'll just keep eating and oh, I'll eat all these things that I want. But with the digestive fire that's variable, if I do that, I might end up feeling really low. You put the fire out. Exactly. Right. Really heavy, really not so good for the rest of the day. So good not to get too hangry is the worst because you do eat anything. You yeah. bolt anything down. Exactly. And yeah. So it's a fine balance. Right. That's it. That's interesting. Yeah. So you kind of, because I do have an interoceptive sense of when, of what that feels like. Yep. Yeah. I think we all do if we just pay attention. I think that's the most important thing. the opportunity to actually get hungry. Yeah. Or it's a fine line, not be, 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 being nice, juicily hungry without being hangry yep. is a really important 
So do you think planning meals, if you're somebody like that, like you're part of, you don't want to get hangry, would you plan out your meals or would you, do you have to stay tuned and kind of do it on the run? Because that's not very easy with a family. Yeah. I think it will depend a lot on the individual. I think planning is good for a couple of different reasons. So let me dive in. Mm. So there are those folks like me who maybe will forget to eat. And then when it's time to eat, we'll just be like, oh my God, I just need to get something in me quick. And it might just be whatever, you know, and that isn't so good. Um, and so I think that there's a degree of planning that can help to mitigate those sorts of issues. So you're planning, you know, if I want snacks, it's going to be these things. Or if I want a meal, it's going to be these things. And Ayurveda highly recommends that we eat meals as opposed to snacking. Yeah. Because snacking doesn't give our, give us the, it doesn't give the body the time that it needs to it doesn't give you enough fuel, but it also doesn't give you the time that you need to properly digest it. So if you have a meal and then you give yourself a bit of period of time between that and the next meal, it gives your body the time that it needs to kind of work through it properly as opposed to give, throwing it a little bit and then it trying and then throwing it a little bit more. And, you know, you can end up in that situation where your fire ends up kind of low. So planning to stave off unhealthy Mistakes. choices. That makes sense. Exactly. That's a really important thing. But then I've, I've got a, a client who says, look, I like intuitive. I like just the intuitive approach. Everything I buy, everything I, you know, have in my house is healthy. So, you know, why don't I just grab what I, you know, when it's time to eat, why don't I just grab something out of the fridge? It's going to be healthy. I think it's great to have an intuitive approach. I think it's even better to have a fridge full of really healthy food. Does she have a couple of kids though, or is she just a, no, she's a single mingle? Yeah, yeah she's having like, kids. No, just like, wait a second. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that doesn't happen in a family. No. Um, but the thing that I was going to say was we have our patterns about what we like to eat. And one of the things that I mentioned um, at the outset was that when we eat is an important factor. And what I mean in this context is that eating seasonally is really important. And so certain foods they may be the thing that you love. You know, you love that kale salad. And so you're always going to have kale in the house. You're always going to have the salad makings in the house. And then whenever you want to eat something, you're just going to go the kale salad. Certain times of the year, that kale salad isn't going to serve you as well as maybe a kale soup or something else might serve you. Yeah. So if you looked at it from the outside and you said, oh, you know, I have smoothies all the time or I have kale salads or I have whatever it is. If you looked at it from the outside, people might say, oh, wow, what a healthy diet you've got. That's terrific. But if you look at it from the point of view of what it's actually doing to you and for you, you might realize that I get constipated a lot in the wintertime when I'm eating those kale salads or, you know, I feel heavy and bloated a lot, you know, in the autumn when I'm drinking those smoothies. So it's important to understand what's going to be good for you when it's good for you. And so planning in the respect of what am I eating in this season is going to be important. I like that. Planning by asking yourself the question, what, how should I respond? Yep. Yeah. As what's opposed right? to planning, getting become like a rote eater, yeah. you know, where you just do it out of habit. Because yeah. we can repeat those sequences. You kind of have a repertoire if you're a housewife. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not that into cooking like me. I mean, yeah. it's okay. I do all right. but. Yeah. I would just have this rotating repertoire. Mm -hmm. We all was, do that. Which it makes was it great easy. sometimes, but I can see how oh, I may have over-applied some particular yeah. dishes, you know, yeah. at the wrong time of year. Yeah, because you get, you, yeah. that's it. You've got things to do. You've got a family, etc. And so I try to recommend for people meals that are versatile, 
that are easy to cook. I am somebody, even though my book isn't necessarily reflective of this, I like to think that the recipes, most of the recipes in my book are pretty easy. Pretty easy. But I am a person, my next book is going to be five ingredients or less for recipes because too many, too many ingredients and too fiddly of stuff is just... It's a it's a recipe for not eating healthy. It's a recipe for just going, hang it. I'm gonna, yeah. you know, eat the same thing all the time, all the time. or I'm gonna just go for the processed thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think yeah, it's important for people to have these recipes that are versatile. That means I can make some rice, and in the winter time, I might stew some whatever, some veggies or some you know some some root vegetables and you know, beans or something. And in the summertime, I might have that rice with, you know, some massaged kale and some right, raw, and, exactly, yes. some raw, you know, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and so they can, the recipe itself is simple, but they can use different ingredients during dif- different times of the year to actually properly serve them. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So what else, I think? You're, you're living in seasons, responding, responding yeah. to your circadian rhythm. Yes. So, so what I've, what I've done as part of the book and also just as part of getting my own head around this idea of eating Ayurveda and to make it easy for people is I've come up with these three rules for, um, eating like you love yourself, what I call eating like you love yourself. Cause well and truly to me, eating for your type can sound a little sexy, you know, and kind of sound like, Ooh, that could be fun, but we are constantly changing. And so eating for your type is really hard. Well, I like eating like you love yourself because mm. you have to be the one who loves yourself, Yes. which means there's an active process. Whereas eating for your type is that prescription again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so you so, don't have to think and feel. And I think that anything that bypasses that is not going to work. Exactly. It isn't. And it isn't living either. You know, I love that. I love that you brought that up. So I've come up with three rules eating like you love yourself that um, can help people to become a little bit more empowered around what they're doing so the first one is eat seasonally we've been talking about that this whole time yeah find out what's in season where you are our supermarkets make it really difficult for us to even have any idea about what's actually seasonal mm-hmm. and we need to be we really need to become more knowledgeable about that what's in the ground where you are is going to be where you are and when you are is going to be some of the things that are going to be the best for you, even if they, those same things aren't in season somewhere else. So I know where we live, we've got a beautiful growing um, year, season, we do, yeah. because of the temperatures and all the rest of it. That means that we might have a wider range of things that we can actually choose from. But wherever you are, find out what's in season. I know so many people who have no sense of what's in season where they are. Yeah. But also, they also think, well, geez, I don't want to be restricted. You know, what a, in the wintertime, I can only eat apples and you know, or oranges. And I like, you know, grapes and peaches. I, you know, they have yeah. them in the supermarket. Why shouldn't I? Across the Pacific Ocean. Exactly. So do you, th- do you recommend gardening? Like is gardening a really a, kind of a beautiful adjunct because you're in tune with the seasons? Absolutely. Mm. I would totally recommend gardening. You may have noticed I have no garden. Well, and that's probably you, I don't really have the environment for it. But, I don't. Yeah. But I also just, I don't have like the I don't have a green thumb. Like I just, I've either. tried growing things. And so I, if you can garden, I say go for your life. I say that is a beautiful way I of getting really. Yeah, me too. I follow on Instagram that are just like, oh, they're pulling all this stuff out of the garden oh. and they've got eggs and they, you know, chickens and oh, I don't know. It just all looks gorgeous. I have yeah. the worst garden gardener in <laughs> me ever. Because I, I see yeah. people that have got these beautiful beds and, yeah. and I have, I have tried. I really have tried. You know, it's a full systematic thing. It's just it like is. what you're saying. It's yeah. not, you know, just 
some little patch of earth and he throws a few seeds down because yeah. when you look at it as a whole system it's wonderful yeah right. well anyway there's yes. not, it can't be everything I, I totally recommend that but I don't want people to feel like if I can't garden for whatever reason whether I live in the city or whether I just do not have a green thumb that I can't do this well that's where farmers markets and things like that and then yep. if you I mean even the Woolies magazines or the exactly. or the grocery store magazines say what's in season yeah exactly yeah, they really and, do and even if, if you do not have a farmers market near you Find out what's in season, what's being grown near you, because yeah. the local growers do supply local supermarkets. Yeah. Find out what's near you and, you know, what's being grown near you or what's in season where you are. And, fi- and go to your supermarket and make those choices. Yeah. Choose those things. I found that amazingly going, when I did go to a farmer's market, how much longer everything lasts, how much more life there is in the food. Because yeah. Because I had to go... From the field to the market in some hot truck here and there, exactly. and then finally you get it. So yeah. it's amazing, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, it may so, have just been picked yesterday, so you've got a lot more life out of exactly. it. Exactly. Then yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So eat seasonally is really important, and um, only, not just because it's great for your environment, it's great for communities, but it's also because the qualities of those foods that are in season when you are or where you are are also going to be great for offsetting any imbalances that are going on for you. The next one is keep your fire burning. So this is about shifting your perceptions when it comes to making choices about food. We've talked about this already. It's making, it's tuning in to how you're digesting. It's having some awareness of how you digest typically. And then it's making your choices for food based on that understanding. So that's about choosing the right foods for yourself that are going to ensure that you're going to get the most out of them. Yeah. And the right amount of times, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and then my last the one. The third one. You're so neat. The and third tiny. one. <laughs> I love it. Rule number three is choose balance. Choose balance. Now, this one is I the know, one I'm that I'm like, like mm, what does that mean? This is the one that's <laughs> gonna be gonna be the most challenging for people. And this one touches on that why that we talked about earlier. It also touches on that. Um, how that we talked about earlier. Assuming that you're you're choosing foods that are going to be good for you, that are going to be relatively good for you, you want to make sure. So we're doing what we can to optimize our digestion of the food, to optimize the nutrients of the food, um, but also to ensure that what we're eating is going to keep us balanced. So choosing balance is a couple of things. One, it's what we talked about, avoiding that minefield eating, sure, and creating some awareness of why you're eating because that might help you to make healthier choices. But it's also having an understanding of how you're feeling and what you can be eating that's going to impact that or that's going to help you with that. So for an example, it it can be, yes, exactly. That's doshic balancing. Mm -hmm. So I often say to people, you know, when I think I remember saying this to you too, how do you feel? Do you feel if you, you know, hot or cold, light or heavy, you know, wet or dry, If you can just keep those six qualities in your mind when it comes to making food, if you're feeling heavy and you're staring down the barrel of a steak with an ice cream chaser, you might just want to say, you know, maybe maybe not. Yeah, maybe (laughs) not. This might, even if the season, even if it's the season for that kind of food, you might just say, "Mm, no, I'm feeling a little heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say heavy, I mean heavy in your belly, like, you know, perhaps your digestion's feeling a little bit overburdened but also there's just this there can be this kind of malaise this kind of heaviness in the mind and the heaviness in the body well i also think there's a little bit of it almost feels like depression Mm -hmm. 
or it feels like it's like a slump. Yeah. And when you, I know, I, I'll judge kind of a restaurant or something when I've gone out and I think, wow, that was delicious. And then afterwards, I've got the, it's no blues eating. Mm-hmm. You can think, wow, I haven't had to kind of pay the price in, I don't know, burping it up later yeah. or just that complete decline yep. as you go. You feel energetic and nourished and light and good. Yes. To and me, that's, that's such a sign that you've done well. Absolutely. Tune into the times mm. that that happens for you. What were you eating? What were the circumstances? How were you eating? One of my favorite ways of eating these days is to go to restaurants that have small plates and to eat a meal over two hours and have in that two hours, maybe have eight little small plates that I'm kind of, yeah, that I'm sharing with people and that we're taking time in between little courses to, you know, chit chat or to whatever it is, because there's lots of rules about, you know, chit-chatting while you're eating. I know. That's (laughs) that's not not my way that that I would like to eat. Yeah. But eating with a level of relaxation and enjoyment is really important. And that looks a lot of different ways for different people um, and in different circumstances. But, you know, tune in. Yeah. Tune into what truly feeds you, mind, body, and soul, in terms of the way that you're eating, in terms of what you're eating, in terms of where you're eating. There are environments that I will not eat in because it will make me feel gross. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you know that's what right. I mean? That's right. For me, if it's cold and it's damp and it's wet, I would probably rather not have any food than to try to eat a meal in an environment like that. Some people aren't sensitive to that whatsoever. So it's important to kind of understand what environments are good for you as well as what foods, etc. And so that is what choosing balance is about. Right. It's making your choices with an understanding of what's going to truly feed you. And those okay. are my three rules. All right. I have one more question. And I, yep. it's, kind of the, it's kind of the elephant in the room a little bit because people yeah. immediately think about weight. Yeah. And I think that's a really dangerous, you know, you see, oh, do yoga to lose weight. And mm-hmm. I mean, yoga is not going to make you lose weight because you did 150 salutes to the sun. Yeah. Possibly the chance to attune to exactly the things you've been talking about, mm-hmm. that we can attune to ourselves. Are there kind of rules about it? Because, I mean, definitely there's an overweight that's unhealthy and too much weight. There's an underweight that's unhealthy and too much weight. Yeah. Um, is that also different for doshas and for people? And like, are there are there rules? Do you have any rules? I got any three rules? For, <laughs> three rules for, for maintaining... Um, it's so or is that good part of that like the heaviness this. or the lightness? Is that is that part? Because I think we're so obsessed with it in our culture. Mm. I think it's a negative thing, and it makes people who are not the right weight feel terrible about yeah. themselves. And it, I don't think it's making people focus on the right thing. No, not at all. And this is such a great question that you've asked mm. because I think we all have a we all have a um, a way of thinking about. Well, we all have views about weight, mm. right, for ourselves, for others, but we also have a way of thinking around what's going to make us or keep us at the right weight. And for many people, that is, you know, a ex- certain amount of exercise, whether that's extreme or otherwise, it's eating a certain way, a certain type of diet in terms of um, in terms of your the quantities and the types of food that you're eating. Mostly for us, it's calories in, calories out kind yeah. of thinking. Yeah. But what I really want people to understand is that a large part of the reason that folks are overweight is because those that how, that when, that what, and that why are totally out of whack. The times in my life when I've been 
Um, and they're sorry, and they're totally out of line with our cultures giving us messages about what's healthy and what isn't, what what right. a healthy well, weight is total and what sense. isn't. So your body's making just rubbish use. So you're not totally. using what you are, and you just yeah. put a lot more on board, and you're not getting rid of it. The agony's not burning up what you need to do. Exactly. Yeah. So our cultural messages about what healthy is, it's either so skinny, it's crazy, yeah. or it's you know it's highly athletic yeah. and really built. Those are our basic. You've got to lie somewhere along that spectrum in order for our culture to to consider you healthy, healthy weight. And so most people are making their choices based on that. They're making their choices, and that's their why. How am I going to get there? What I what this whole Ayurvedic approach to to things wants people or helps people to understand is that what is your true nature? How do those doshas uh, express themselves within you? Do they express themselves as thin and light do they right. express themselves as a medium build do they express themselves as a kind of a you know a bigger or a more st- a sturdy yeah. build that is your true nature mm. and so everything that you do every choice that you make whether it's for food or whether it's for engagement with life and whatever it has to reflect you returning to your true nature well, I love that. For me, I love, oh, no, it's so nice though because you yeah. hear about people. I've had some students, and they're like, "Oh, you know, people tell me that I'm I'm overweight, and I eat so healthy, and I, and and they keep coming back to this weight, and I get so frustrated." And I'm, I've, I've said, "Well, maybe this is just where you need to sit." That's but it. I, I love that that that's your true nature, your Definitely. truest, healthiest place. And as long as you're not being silly, yeah, I do think we have a place we sit when we're doing well. That's it. You know, we know we're. Sleeping well, exercising, That's eating it. a nice diet, and and you know you're being a good girl. Yeah. If you want to put it yeah. in really stupid, and there you go, vol, sit, you sit right on that plate on the scale, and you can starve yourself and be less, or you can you know be a bit naughty and be more, whatever that looks like. But you keep coming back to your true nature. That's it. Hopefully, that in that. in in my mind, that is the goal. The the weight that the weight and the degree of you know strength and whatever mm. that I've and energy and all the rest of it that I've that I've sat at when I've been the happiest in my life, when I felt the most balanced, the most loved, the most supported, that is my weight. That is my true nature. That is what I am always looking to return to. Right. That vitality. Exactly. And that isn't when I was ever dieting crazy or doing, no, that was when I was eating a diet that was, that felt like it was like really nourishing me. And then all other aspects of my life felt like they were supporting that's supporting right. me so instead of looking like craven and starving exactly. and amazing in a bikini yeah. you look actually relaxed and vital and, exactly yeah. and i wasn't trying to you know diet and do crazy things and i wasn't thinking a lot of self-limiting thoughts and mm-hmm. i wasn't i wasn't engaging with the world in a way that felt antagonistic i felt supported and i felt mm-hmm. loved and i think all of the unhealthiness that we see out there in terms of body shape and body and this is on all ends of the spectrum this is on the bigger end and on the skinnier end that is a result of us succumbing in many ways to the messages from society the messages from the people that we are the environment that we're in whether that's a an environment full of bodybuilders or whether that's an environment full of models or an environment full of people and this is something that may be very controversial controversial Mm -hmm. i'm really glad that you brought this up an environment full of bigger people who are afraid of being or who not are afraid who are sick of being fat shamed yeah. and are now and this is one of the things that i think the body positive movement is getting slightly wrong yeah okay um slightly wrong is that 
I think we do need to be promoting body positivity, body positivity. Absolutely. I think we do need to be promoting this self-acceptance because I think that is the only step that is going to get us to the place that we actually need to be. What I think we are, what I think we're not getting right is that I think in many ways we're, because, okay, a perfect example is there was a woman who was a larger size model or something like that, and people were giving her a hard time, telling her, you know, you're fat or whatever. So she takes a picture of herself on Instagram, surrounded by junk food wrappers, and basically just says, fuck you to everyone. I can eat whatever I want. Now, you can eat whatever you want. You are totally at liberty to do that. But what I really want people to, to understand is that your true nature is not a state of imbalance. What's happening is we're starting to throw our arms around, which is great, around larger size people. We're starting to accept that. But what I really think we need to be really careful about is that we're not saying great. Do you but know what I mean? That we're not imbalance. Like if that is truly you. That's truly you. And you found your place to be. Yep. That's as beautiful. As opposed to um, kind of loving a place that's not a really a healthy or happy that's place. That's right. For other for reasons, them. for them, yeah. not because of what society says, but exactly. because actually inside. And that's, I mean, this is, you know, who knows what we just broke open there. Yeah. But but well, I think I think talking about it and tuning people into their own barometer of that's what right. as well. And it's it's so difficult to do. It is. The amount of, of time and energy, I mean, I can do it myself. And I st- at, at, at the time, energy, negative self-talk. Is just exhausting for people, and yeah. I think being able—and this is what the a diet industry is just booming on. Whereas I really, I mean, I like the way that you talk about Ayurveda, that it, that it is tuning into your balance, and I like the way yoga tunes you into. This feels good. This yes. feels clear, healthy, and I've been trying to say what's what's sukha and stira for in asana yeah. is kind of strong and easy. Yes, but is it's this kind of similar thing? Is like what feels peaceful and nourishing exactly and what i'm really trying to say to people is it's all about you it's all about being incredibly honest with yourself about what does feel right as opposed to rationalizing whether you're on the super skinny side or whether you're on the bigger side rationalizing unhealthy choices and i think that's what the idea of the body positive movement is for people who have just been uh, for lack of a better just kind of pushing pushing whatever pop up a hill yeah trying to be something other than they are yep. that's the relief of going you know what this is me yeah and i have whereas and I it, think, it isn't just it's like saying feel what feels good in yoga yeah people are like well what feels good may not be the right thing yeah. but it's learning to feel what feels it's not just what feels good like white sugar pleasure exactly it's more um what is truly nourishing, nourishing wholesome that's right wholesome and that's that, truly that nourishing. barometer i think is important I, yeah you know, so i think it's made it and I, I don't know i mean i hope there's not people who just think that that's what it is because it what what you're trying to say is it's it's about falling asleep at the wheel yeah and it's about saying oh well whatever yeah but that's that's kind of opting out that isn't the i'm going to engage and feel and use this as a way to tune in and i think what's at the foundation of the body positive movement is exactly what you're saying it is, it's the beginnings, it's this ability to actually accept ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I feel also that some people are kind of taking it too far in one direction or the other, unfortunately. Well, that's interesting, folks. that person who surrounds themselves with junk food wrappers. Yeah. That's probably an unfortunate choice. Mm, I thought so. Because yeah. I was thinking, well, is that really what you're eating? And then is that what you're advocating? Or maybe maybe that wasn't. Maybe it was just 
I have no idea, but but I didn't think yeah. that was any healthier than advocating, you know, starving yourself personally. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what I like about it in accessible yoga is is also it's enlarging the field, and I guess I'm enlarging in some ways, but yeah. enlarging the field of of who we look to to as our teachers or as our as the people and I think the big mistake is like putting everybody sort of white skinny chicks on the cover of yoga journal definitely because I've heard people say oh you know my rib cage was too bigger I mean the they start splitting hairs on things and it's like no I love the whole um the whole new trend of all different looking sizes and me too and seeing what real women look like Yeah, you know, no. whenever you think about that picture that sometimes you see out there, which is Vada, Pitta, and Kapha yeah. all next to each other, yeah. we have to be able to look at that without any judgment whatsoever. Right. You know, with that, and that's really what I'm hoping that I we're know. moving towards. I don't towards. want Kapha to be the, the crappy one. Exactly. Because Kapha, to me, when I think of that, okay, they met, there's a softness. I think of that as a lack of tension in the body. Yeah. Like, not that, like, yeah. you know, ropey. Vata, like, ropey. No. Exactly. Or that, like, sinewy kind of. I think of, I think of, um, contented mums and people, and I, you know, I've got friends who I just, you want to go, oh, yeah. and just lean into them. Yeah. But there's also a kind of solidness. Yeah. Um, that has a steadiness and a real calming energy to that's it. Right. And that's beautiful. So I think, I think sometimes it ends up getting, uh, cast as the one that nobody wants to be and yeah. that's and that's because of our bias yeah so anyway I just wanted to I mean I think what what you talk about is beautiful but I wanted to kind of open it up because I think that's what people sometimes think healthy is and yeah. it sounds to me like you're actually wanting to change the paradigm of what healthier will is absolutely completely. so it's not because you know, people are like, oh, you've lost weight it could mean that they're sick yeah you know or stressed or yeah. who knows yeah. what but it's on vitality yeah like if you look at someone and they're looking really healthy it's not the size of them or even the fitness and muscularity of it it's yeah. often like the maybe it's that fire the energy certainly the energy the prana the you life in their that. eyes and that's where we want to exactly that's where we want to get to that's where we want to get to mm. and so that's why i like that's why i called the book eat like you love yourself and that's why i love that concept of eating like you love yourself because it doesn't dictate what's healthy you have to dictate what's healthy. Yeah. But and you're it, the one who knows. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, it has this underlying implication that you need to make choices that are going to love you so that you can exactly you can love yourself and others can love you too. That's so yeah. Beautiful. It's and, a beautiful title. I think it's perfect. Thanks. Mm. Thanks a lot. Mm. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. We really dived in, haven't we? It's kind of good. Dive in. Threw you a curly at the end. I know. I go. love that though. I've been dying to talk about that one, yeah. Julie. So yeah, thank, thank you, you, Maria, as mm. always, and um, and uh, enjoy the book. Those of you, I, I'm not allowed to. Shara's not allowed to really blow her horn <laughs> on her book, but I I think it's wonderful. It's really accessible for people who don't like to cook that much. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> hey, it's Maria. I hope you enjoy that episode. Eat like you love yourself. I feel like Shara's approach to food is uh, really beautiful and makes the concept of non-restrictive and intuitive eating actually accessible rather than being an abstract concept. So I'm sure that you could hear at the end, we got into some of the politics of food and some of our uh, cultural ideas around healthy living. If you're interested in a deeper exploration of that, then there's a podcast called Yoga is Dead, and they do on their episode five, it's called Vegans Killed Yoga. 
and they get into the power and privilege of the yoga and wellness worlds and and the whole uh, politics of ahimsa, diet culture, food responsibility. So if that's where you want to delve, that isn't where we wanted to delve. Um, so that's resources available to you, and they are they have a lot of links and resources. Shara's book is available on her website, and I would really encourage you to look at her writing and her work and explore how she is making eating like you love yourself accessible and possible. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I can't wait to see you next time.